you live in paradise. Uh, so I understand. Uh, you're not in a big hurry to get to heaven uh, because you're halfway there uh, already. I understand that. Uh, and you're blessed in that regard. But I want to remind you that that's the destination. Uh, it's part of the believer's exciting future. Uh, sometimes when I walk into a church and they think, oh, Heinzen's here. He's going to preach on prophecy. A guy stopped me in the hall one time at a church and said, you're not going to give us all bad news, are you? I said, no, it's only bad news if you're lost. Uh, it's really good news if you're saved. God has a wonderful future planned for your life. So I want you to help me out this morning. Turn to the person on your right and on your left, one of them at least you probably came in with, look him right in the face and say, you've got a wonderful, exciting future ahead of you. Tell him that. <laughs> that promise of the future is spelled out for us in the Scripture in seven basic steps uh, that I want to share with us. We all understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That at death, the body goes to the grave, uh, even to the dust and the ashes of time. But the spirit goes to heaven to be with the Lord. Uh, we understand that. Uh, and we also understand that that is a beautiful, wonderful place, uh, a place that is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Uh, those of us in the ministry spend our lifetime trying to help people go to heaven, and then, as I said, they're in no hurry to get there. Uh, I heard a funny story about a couple that were getting a little older, and they got in their 50s and decided, we should eat more healthy. Uh, we'll live longer uh, if we eat better. So the wife put the guy on a very strict diet. It was like poppy seed and asparagus. Uh, and uh, what a, for 10 years. And they were. They were healthier and they were better. The problem is they got hit by a truck and killed. Uh, and uh, they went to heaven and they walked in and there was food everywhere. Uh, and you could eat to your heart's content and never gain weight in a glorified body. Uh, there were golf courses all over the place. There was every wonderful thing you could imagine. And his wife turned to him and said, Isn't this great? And the guy said, Yeah. And if it weren't for you and that darned health food, we could have been here ten years ago. <laughs> I want to remind you, the journey is important. What we do here below is important. But the destination is even greater. Now, in the prophetic message of the Bible, there are many things that can happen, will happen, and yet there's one key thing that the Bible tells us must happen, and that is the rapture of the church, of the believers. There are a lot of things that could happen before the rapture, but they don't have to happen before the rapture could happen, because at any moment the trumpet could sound, the archangel could shout, and boosh, we're out of here to the glory of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul went to the city of Thessalonica in ancient Greece. He only stayed there for three weeks. When he got to Thessalonica, there were no Christians in that town, not one believer. He preached the gospel. 
People were saved. A church was planted. He taught them biblical doctrines and Bible theology. And after three weeks, he left. A few months later, he writes a letter back to them. 1 Thessalonians. And then 2 Thessalonians. And he reminds them of all the things I taught you while I was there. Now sometimes people will say, well, I don't think all this stuff about the second coming is really that important. It's sort of secondary doctrine. Really? Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica and he said, I taught you all these things while I was there. No, for him it was essential biblical truth. And while he was gone, some believers had passed away and the Christians were asking the question, well, if they've already died, did they miss the coming of Christ? Have they missed out? And Paul's response was, no, not at all. And in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, he reminds us of that truth uh, when he said to them, for since we believe that Jesus died and he did what? Rose again. How? Literally, bodily, physically, in a glorified body, yes, but a literal body where he could say to the disciples, touch me and see that I'm real. Thomas, put your finger in the nail print. Be not faithless, but believing. If Jesus died and he rose again, therefore we say that those that have gone on to heaven, God will bring with him when the Lord returns, and we that are alive and remain at the Lord's coming will be caught up with those that are resurrected. If you read the entire text in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, the dead in Christ will be raised. He's talking about their body. Why? Because their spirit's already in heaven. And in some cases, they've been there for hundreds of years. But the body is still in the dust. And it will be resurrected at the time of the rapture when the archangel shouts, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are raised, and we that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, there's a lot of questions about the rapture and a lot of pushback these days where some people are saying, no, I don't even believe in the rapture. The rapture is not in the Bible, Ed. Uh, you look at a concordance. You look up the word rapture. It's not in the Bible. Well, look up the word trinity. It's not in the Bible either. Look up the word Sunday. It's not in the Bible. We're worshiping on a Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week. This is a resurrection celebration. The concept of the believers meeting on the Lord's Day is clearly in the Bible, whether the English word is there or not. The triunity of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of equal deity clearly taught in the Bible whether the word Trinity is there or not. In the case of the rapture, the word is there in the Greek New Testament. In our English Bibles, it's translated caught up. Uh, and you might circle that sometime in your Bible in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, in Greek, it's the word harpazo. So, oh, Greek, what does that mean? Basically, zap, you're out of here, uh, to the glory of God. It means snatched away, caught away instantly. Jesus said what? He would come like a thief in the night and snatch the bride up to the Father's house 
The promise of the rapture is as clear as anything in the Bible. The facts of the coming of Christ are clear in the Scripture. The fact of the rapture is clear. There has to be a time when the dead are raised and the living are caught up. Uh, You can debate the timing of it. That's a matter of interpretation of the facts. Uh, And uh, people disagree on that. Some people say, well, he's going to come before the tribulation, uh, during the tribulation, after the tribulation. There is no tribulation. The whole church age is tribulation. Uh, Before the millennium, after the millennium, there is no millennium. Uh, At the end of time, you've got to put it somewhere. You can't just throw that chapter out of the Bible and throw it away. There must be a time when this occurs. And yet, often people who do not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture will innocently or deliberately or foolishly say, I don't believe in the rapture. There must be a time when the dead are raised and the living are caught up. So whether you live to the rapture or pass away before the rapture, the rapture is in your future destiny. Now help me out again. Turn to the person on your right, on your left, look them right in the face and say, you're going up in the rapture whether you understand it or not. Uh, Tell them that. People say, well, why do we have to have a rapture? Number two, to take the bride to the Father's house. And the night before He went to the cross, Jesus met with the disciples at the Last Supper. After Judas left the room, the unbeliever, the betrayer, he turned to the other 11 believing disciples. And in John chapter 14, what did he say to them? Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many rooms or mansions or palatial rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going now to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you, the believers, unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Well, those 11 disciples eventually died. They all gave their lives for their commitment to Christ. Their spirit went to heaven, but their bodies disintegrated into the dust long ago. And yet the promise was, no, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to come and rapture you up, resurrect you, reunite your body with your spirit. Why? Because I'm going to take the entire bride of Christ collectively to the Father's house so that when the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts, the dead in Christ are raised, the living are caught away to be with the Lord. Now, beyond that, there are a lot of speculations. Uh, People say, well, you're going to go right up through the ceiling? Well, if you can resurrect a dead body right out of the gasket, you can certainly rapture a living person right up through the ceiling in a glorified body. Why are we going there? We're the bride of Christ. He loved the bride. He died for the bride. He gave himself for the bride. That's why Dr. Jeremiah and myself and so many others believe he'll come in the rapture before the time of tribulation because that's the time of the wrath of Christ, uh, the wrath of the Lamb. Well, the bride is not the subject of the wrath of Christ. 
She may be the victim of the wrath of men or the wrath of Satan, but not the wrath of Jesus. You don't beat up the bride of Christ and then take her home to the marriage. Uh, That doesn't make any sense. That symbolism doesn't work. We have a date with destiny to go up in the rapture, to go to the Father's house, that wonderful celestial city where we will be with the Lord. And then thirdly, we're headed to the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, The Scripture says very clearly that eventually we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive those things that are done in the body. Uh, There is going to be a time when you and I will receive rewards for our faithful service to the Lord. Now, yes, there's accountability. And yes, there will be grief over loss of rewards, etc. But ultimately, this is not a time of trying to decide whether or not you get into heaven. This is a time at the judgment seat of Christ for believers at the Bema seat judgment when you're rewarded for your faithful service. Those of you that served in vacation Bible school last week, you're going to be rewarded for that in heaven. God keeps the record book, and your service to Him will not go unrewarded. Our faithfulness as parents uh, and grandparents to our families, to our children and grandchildren, generation after generation, is part of your service unto the Lord. We're all headed there to the evaluation, and it's there that we receive the very rewards that we can cast at Jesus' feet. And we have to ask ourselves, will I have much to cast at His feet? Much to surrender back to Him that was the gift of His grace. Number four, we're also headed to the marriage of the Lamb in heaven. I don't care how old you are here today. You have more living ahead of you than you do behind you. Uh, And I don't care if you've never been married. You're going to be married. Uh, I don't care how many times you've been married. You're going to be married again. Uh, You have a wedding in your future. Uh, Turn to the person on your right, on your left, look them right in the face and say, you're getting married again, uh, whether you know it or not. (laughs) You say, how do I know that? Revelation, the 19th chapter. As the book of Revelation comes down to the climax of that chapter, It says in verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding or marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, the church of true believers of all time, has made herself ready, and there was given to her fine linen, bright and clean, to wear. The white robe of righteousness that we do not deserve, that we cannot earn, that's given to us for trusting Jesus as our Savior. When He died on the cross and He took the wrath of God against our sin on the cross, when He stood up on the nails and pulled Himself up on the spikes, when He shouts out to the Father, it is finished, it's paid in full. Jesus' death on the cross not only allows our sin to be forgiven, that would leave us blank. But it also guarantees to us the robe of righteousness that we're going to receive at the marriage of the Lamb. That's part of your future destiny. Why do brides in the Western world wear white dresses? 
The tradition comes right out of Revelation 19 because that's part of the Christian message. That's the destiny of every believer to be married to Christ. Now, yes, it's a spiritualized term. I understand that. It means the intimacy of a relationship with Him face-to-face, heart-to-heart, life-to-life for all eternity. For when you accepted Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God came into your heart and you were born again by the power of God, your life became co-eternal with the life of God at that point. You have everlasting life already. Uh, those that believe in Him have eternal life. You already have it. You're just going to change the location of where that existence takes place, but you already have it. And you have the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Scripture says is the earnest, the down payment, the engagement ring, if you will, uh, that God has said... I have committed myself to you and you're going to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual sense for all of eternity. You have to go up in the rapture at some point to go to the judgment seat and to go to the marriage because in the context of Revelation 19, the marriage clearly takes place in heaven. And then number five, the triumphal return. The church is raptured up to heaven to the judgment seat of Christ at the Father's house to the marriage of the Lamb. We receive the white robe of righteousness and then we return literally with Him in that same chapter. In Revelation 19, verse 14, a few verses later, it says the armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Where did they get that? At the marriage in verse 8. Got to go up to get to the marriage in order to return to earth with Christ in the triumphal return. When you put the bride of Christ on display back on earth, when Jesus returns, uh, it's not going to be as the rejected Savior. When He returns, He's the triumphant warrior. He's our warrior king who marches out of heaven at the battle of Armageddon to declare the victory. And we are there with him simply watching him speak the word. Uh, He's the one that will bring peace to the world. You know, people say to me all the time, well, you guys that believe in the rapture, you've abandoned the earth. You're a bunch of escapists. You just want to get out of here. No, we actually believe we're coming back uh, and that it makes a difference what happens here on planet earth. We're coming back with the king when he comes to reign, number six, in his millennial reign. Why does he return in the first place? He returns to claim the earth as his inheritance. He comes back to defeat the powers of evil and to set up a millennial kingdom. And Revelation chapter 20 says, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In fact, it uses that number six times in that passage. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And yet I'll have people say to me, well, I don't think you really should take that literally. I don't think it's really a thousand years. Uh, It's just time, you know. Uh, Well, is the return symbolic then? Uh, Is heaven symbolic? Uh, Is none of this literal? Is none of this real? Uh, Is the return of Christ not a real event? Well, yeah. Well, why do you think he would say six times, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, and then say, really, it's only ten? Whatever. No, I don't think so. I think it's pretty obvious. 
It's a long period of time in which all the prophecies to the nation of Israel are finally fulfilled. Jesus is ruling in Jerusalem. God's promises to the earth are complete. And yet as wonderful as the millennium will be, it's not heaven. It's not the end. For finally, our ultimate destiny is what? The eternal city. Uh, the final stage uh, of the plan of God for your wonderful and exciting future. It's in that city where the Scripture says in Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So it's totally different in its constitution. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and it was prepared like a bride, dressed for her husband. You have a date with destiny as a believer in that eternal city. And imagine for a moment what that will be like. That we will be in heaven in the new Jerusalem forever and ever and ever and ever. And there's no crying. There are no tears. There's no suffering. There's no pain. There's no sin. The story of the Bible begins in a garden. It ends in a city. It begins with paradise lost. And it ends with paradise regained. It begins with access to the tree of life, which is lost. And it begins and ends with the tree of life restored again. God's wonderful plan for our lives is to take us to that eternal city that's part of your destiny. Now think of those seven steps again. What's in your future? The rapture, the bride being taken to the Father's house, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage of the Lamb, the triumphal return, the millennial reign, and the eternal city. We're headed to that wonderful place that God has prepared for us. But the only way you get in is through the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, through His atonement made for us on the cross, that the sinless one died in our place, that the nail prince, even in his resurrected body, shout to us for all eternity, I love you, I love you, I love you. I did this all for you, so that you would be part of that wonderful place that God has prepared for you for the future. Uh, while we are thrilled about our destiny as believers, somebody were to ask you, are you headed to heaven? Uh, are you going to be there one day? The answer needs to be a very confident what? Yes, absolutely. Not, I hope so. You hope so. That's not enough. Well, I'm doing the best I can. No, God did the best He could when He sent the Savior to the cross to die for your sins, nothing is better than that. All that He did is sufficient for all of our insufficiencies and all of our failures. And if you've never trusted Him as your Savior, could I urge you, we've got a ticket with destiny in the eternal city, and we'd love to see you there. But there has to come a point in time in which you fill out the form, so to speak, you sign your name and say, yes, I believe it, I'm in, 
I'm ready to trust Him as Savior. And once you do that, the destiny is guaranteed.